Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in the gospel, our year-long series in the gospel of John. And today's message is entitled, Jesus Promises the Holy Spirit. Well, this morning, I'm going to let you in on a little family secret. Actually, I'm not going to do it. Jesus is. Through the Gospel of John, to you this morning. I'm not talking about my family personally. I talk about us as a family, as a church, as a body of believers. For those who are followers of Christ, here is the family secret. You are not alone. When we were worshiping in song just a few moments ago, perhaps your heart felt a little cold. Maybe God even felt a million miles away. May I say this morning, you are not alone. When you had that ugly conflict this week with your spouse, maybe with your brother or sister, or parents, and you walked away feeling angry, maybe just even downright numb. You were not alone. When condemnation came pouring in, maybe even yesterday, for that sin that you committed once again, you were not alone. When you tried to share your faith this past week or month, perhaps with a friend, or with your very own family, and you seemed to fall flat on your face. You weren't alone. When you were at work this week, and joining in with your coworkers in the break room or the office, and you felt like an alien with three heads because of your Christian faith and values, you were not alone. When you went into your room, you just cried. Perhaps you got out of bed and went right back into bed the other day, distraught and grieved. You were not alone. Take heart, believer. You are not alone. That's the simple but yet profound message that we're going to look at today. Why are you not alone? Why? Because Jesus has promised his Holy Spirit. Because Jesus has promised you, every believer, his Holy Spirit. But I realize this morning, for some of you, that may not be much of an encouragement. The reality is, it wasn't either for the disciples in our text this morning. You see, they didn't get it. But but may we get it this morning. As Al had mentioned last week, the disciples in our narrative were facing the terrifying unwanted prospect of losing their friend, their rabbi, their Messiah, and their very hope. Let's now read Christ promising words to his disciples and to us today as the disciples anticipated Christ's departure. Starting John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And let us pray. O Lord, the Holy Spirit, would you encourage us? Would you exhort us? Would you comfort us? Would you embolden us this morning? May we be those who do see. O open our eyes and give us the courage now to face our fears. Give us grace to walk in the works which you have prepared for us from all eternity. Give us courage now to fulfill the mission you've given us as husbands, as fathers, as wives, as mothers, as singles, as children. That mission to make disciples of all nations, starting with our own families, starting right here at Palm Vista, For your glory and fame, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Jesus, in our key text this morning, says these immortal words of comfort and promise to the anxious disciples. John 14, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you fatherless or parentless. I will care for you. I will not leave you bereft of physical protection or protection and provision. I will provide for you. This imagery of orphans strikes me hard. On separate occasions, Cindy and I have had the opportunity 
to travel to Russia to minister to some of the orphanages there. For me, it was back in the early 90s. And in those orphanages, we saw some of the most sobering, sorrow-laden scenes that I have ever seen or encountered. Russell Moore, in his book, excellent book, entitled Adopted for Life, tells his own heart-wrenching story of leaving a Russian orphanage as they were about to finalize the adoption of their children. It's a story that I've heard many times over in different ways and forms. I want to read it to you this morning. Not to disparage orphans or even those who are caring for orphans. There's even some here who have cared for orphans. It is godly. It is biblical. But to give you a picture of this imagery that is being used here in verse 18, that Christ will not leave us as orphans. So Russell and his wife Maria set the scenes for us. And we read. When Maria and I had walked into the orphanage, where we were led to the boys the Russian courts had picked out for us to adopt, we almost vomited in reaction to the stench and squalor of the place. The boys were in cribs, in the dark, lying in their own waste. Leaving them at the end of each day was painful, but leaving them the final day before going home to wait for the paper to go through, the paperwork to go through, was the hardest thing either of us had ever done. Walking out of the room to prepare for the plane ride home, Maria and I could hear Maxim calling out for us and falling down in his crib, convulsing in tears. Maria shook with tears of her own. I turned around to walk back into the room just for a minute. I placed my hand on both of their heads and said, knowing they could not understand a word of English, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. For us, it didn't matter that they seemed like any orphan in that institution. They were part of our family now. They were part of her family now. As Russell Moore echoed his words from John 14, 18, he was echoing the words of Jesus to you, to me. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus was leaving. He wasn't leaving to do adoption paperwork. No, he was leaving to die on the cross. Yes, to secure your and my redemption, that we would no longer be orphans. Indeed, his promise to us is, I will come to you. If you are part of the family. So the question we must ask as we begin this morning, are you a part of the family? You see, Jesus goes to great lengths in this text multiple repetitions to answer the question for us. Why? Because he wants you to know if you are part of the family. He wants you to know what it means to be part of the family. So the two points this morning are simple. If you are part of the family, point number two, Jesus promises his Holy Spirit. Looking at verse 15, Jesus saying, 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who's that helper he's referring to? Look quickly to verse 26. The helper who is the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 23, a few verses down, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and he will come to him. Listen to this. And make our home with him. I want to be very careful this morning, though. You see, Jesus is not describing a set of conditions that we must meet in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, if I obey his commandments, then he'll maybe give me the Holy Spirit. No, Jesus is describing, rather, a set of relations that will be true if we belong to him, if we are part of the family. If we belong to him, we will love him. And that will be demonstrated by our love and obedience to his words and his commandments. And if we love him, we're going to obey him. If we obey him, we will be possessed by him. You see, we cannot earn, church, the Holy Spirit. We can't drum it up this morning. Yes, we are charismatic in the sense that we believe in the Spirit and all the gifts of the Spirit for today. Amen. But I can't drum it up emotionally. I can't earn the Holy Spirit. I can't win for you the Holy Spirit. No. And that's not what Christ is saying here either. You can't win the Holy Spirit and you can't buy him. Just ask Simon the Magician. Acts 8. Can't go there, but he learned the hard way. You see, Scripture makes it clear that the Holy Spirit, as is salvation, is a gift from the Father and the Son. It is a gift unmerited. It is God's loving initiative towards us that saves us and then secures for us his presence as his children, as parts of his family. The Apostle Paul who wrote this gospel also wrote in his epistle, 1 John, 1 John 4, 19. He said it this way. We love, thus we obey, because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We demonstrate this love, his effectual love, by obeying him. And this confirms that we belong to him and that the Holy Spirit is ours. So let's put it all together. What does this all mean, this first part, if you're part of the family? It means this. If you love Jesus this morning, as demonstrated by your willing obedience, not perfection, but the tenor of your heart, is to obey him, you can know God's abiding presence because you belong to him. You can know that Jesus has not left you alone this morning as orphan, as an orphan. As you love him in response to his saving initiative and love towards you, Jesus is committed to loving you and manifesting his presence to you. He wants to show you his presence. He wants you to know his abiding presence this morning. Look at John 14, verse 21. We see this set of relations once again set up for us. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And catch this. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. If you are a Christian this morning, if you truly love him and obey him, you can expect 
the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. Not only can you expect, let's go beyond that, you should expect his ministry. So really, here's the question. Are you? Are you expecting the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Or are you living like orphans this morning? This is my heart. This text is not about a bunch of to-dos. There are no imperatives in this text. My heart is, I believe, the heart of Scripture here this morning. I want you to expect. I want you to anticipate the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we're going to talk about what that is in just a few moments. But I want to build that expectation, anticipation that maybe it's not there. Maybe out of ignorance or maybe out of passivity. And for lack of asking, oh, I want you to experience what the Lord has for you. For he has given you his Holy Spirit, his abiding presence. See, some of you are living today like orphans, and you shouldn't. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is more of a a creedal formulation, more of a doctrine. You know in your head that the Holy Spirit is what we call the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You know that. But it's not a daily experience. It's not a knowledge reality in your life. It's not a reality in your communion with God. It's not a knowledge reality in your relationships. It's not a reality in your fight against sin. It's not a reality in your evangelism, in the sharing of your faith. There's a second group of you. Believe much smaller. It's this. You are orphans. And you don't even know it. And you are not part of the family that I'm speaking about. Let me explain. Step back a little bit. Give us the big picture. Biblically speaking. The universe and the earth in which we live was created to be our home. We, as mankind, were created to be God's image bearers, right? To rule and subdue the earth and to serve under our Father. That's a big picture. But something happened. Genesis 3. It's the insurrection of man. It's called the fall of man. We see it in the sin of Adam and Eve, passed down now to us in our rebellion for all ages. And at that point in time, Genesis 3, this world became an orphanage. The heirs got gotten rid of. They were disposed. They were disowned. We went from being heirs to being orphans. Under the captivity of the serpent, who was Satan. But friends, here's the good news. While we are still yet orphans, God sent his son to be a substitute orphan in our place. Taking on the wrath of God for our rebellion against the Father. To the point when he was on the cross, he can say in anguish, Father, why have you forsaken me? Friends, that is the gospel. Do you see it? Christ in our narrative is about to go to the cross to be our substitute orphan, that we may no longer be orphans, but called children of God. See, he was not going to leave them at the cross. No, he went to the cross 
so that they, so that we may never be left as orphans. And he's not about to leave them now. And neither will he leave you now if you are part of his family. But also here's the reality. If you have not repented of your rebellion, first and foremost against God, if you have not placed your belief, your trust in God the Father who sent the Son as a substitute orphan in your place, and that's if you do not love him now and worship him and obey him, demonstrating your salvation, you don't belong to him. You don't. But if you do repent, you too can be part of the family. If you are part of the family, point to Jesus promises his Holy Spirit to you. Reading verse 18 through 20 again. I want you to hear these words. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father. And you in me. And I in you. Verse 20. In that day. What's Christ referring to? Christ is referring to today. Today is that day. Christ has departed from earth. He has gone to heaven as joined with the Father. We live in the days of Christ post-resurrection. We live in the days of Christ post-ascension and glorification. We live in the days of the Spirit. It's today. See, Christ makes it clear. In this day, the world will see me no more. In fact, it prompts Judas in verse 22 to ask, Well, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and yet not to the world? You see, if Jesus was referring to his coming back, his second coming, when he'll come back, the whole world would know, right? He's coming back as conquering king. There'll be no doubt when he he returns. Everyone will see and know. He's not referring to his second coming. He's referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit, who some will not see and not acknowledge and not know, but others will. Who will know? Who will see? Those who are a part of his family. That is the day and the age in which we live, the age of the Spirit. We are spirit people. If indeed, we are Christians. So who is his Holy Spirit? Oh, first and foremost, don't miss this. He is Jesus' indwelling presence. The Holy Spirit is the Christ's personal presence in you. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you, just curious, another helper to be with you forever. So who's the Holy Spirit? Church, he's not some cosmic force. When Jesus says he will give you another helper, he means, I'm going to give you another helper, like me. I am your helper, and I will give you another helper, like me. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus. He is a person. He is a him. He's not an it. You can look in the text here. It's fascinating. He says, end of verse 17, you will know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. See, we would expect from the Greek, see, every Greek noun has gender. It's masculine, feminine, or neuter. Well, the gender that is for the Holy Spirit, there's neuter. It's an it. We'd expect grammatically to say, you will know it. But John Bray's grammatical world says, no, you will know him. He's trying to make a point here. The Holy Spirit's not just an it. He's not just a force. The Holy Spirit's a him. It's a he. It's a personality. It's a person. It's a person 
just as Christ living and dwelling in us. Last year, my wife and I went on a little Sherlock Holmes movie binge. We watched one classic murder mystery episode after the other. And almost every novel, at least every novel that has a large estate involved, which is about every novel, there was that somewhat eerie, stiff, upper-lipped British butler who was in the household. I was a little curious. He was always kind of nearby, but rarely ever seen until called upon. And he always seemed to be a suspect in the plot. You see, this butler, he was always around in the house, but he wasn't part of the family. Is that how you view the Holy Spirit? Kind of like a British butler? Do you consider him part of the family? If you're part of the family, he's part of the family too, let me tell you. Is he part of your family? If not, I don't believe you're living the gospel. The good news is Christ for us today. John 14, 17, I want to hear it again, just that in part. You know him, that's the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you, not just with you, Look at this last part. He will be in you. That's the promise for us today. Jesus identifies the Spirit with himself. Now, the Holy Spirit won't be with us in person, as in in flesh and blood, but he will be the very personal presence of Jesus in us. And he will dwell within you. You see, the Jesus who walked the earth is now going to walk and live in your heart. Think about that. Jesus, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago, is now going to live and walk in your heart through his presence, through the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is none other than God himself. He's no less a person and no less God. And he dwells in you as a believer. He is the one who carries out the life and work of Christ, who carries out Christ's mission. Oh, Christ ascended to heaven. But the mission continues to make disciples. He's given us another helper. He's given us none other than him very self to carry out that mission. Do you see it? That's what John is saying. That's what Christ is saying in this discourse. He is our helper and he is our advocate as we carry out Christ's mission on earth. Do you need help this morning? Yeah, I need some help this morning. I need help preaching. I need help driving. I need help putting on my pants sometimes, you know? It's going to be pretty bad. I need help. Do you need help? I think you do. Well, the Holy Spirit, number one, secondly, is our helper. He's our helper. And he's our advocate. Let me explain. See, we have not been left alone here on earth to eke out the Christian life. We've not been left alone to raise our children. Yeah, we'll be talking about biblical principles and parenting next Saturday. But let's not forget, it's all for naught. We need, without the power in the presence of the Spirit working in our lives. We've not been left alone to evangelize the world. We've been given the very Holy Spirit. You see, John uses a very specific word for the Holy Spirit that describes this helping in this role, this activity of the Holy Spirit. The word transliterated from Greek is paraclete. Maybe you've seen that in writing before. This word paraclete, which John uniquely uses, has been really 
notoriously difficult to translate. And you may see it translated a variety of different ways in your text, depending on which translation that you have. In the ESV, the New American Standard Version, it is translated helper. In the NIV, it is translated counselor. In some of your older Bibles, you may even say translated as comforter as well. See, the meaning of this word paraclete, of Holy Spirit, is this. That Jesus was the first paraclete. Jesus was the first helper. But now we've received another paraclete, meaning the one called alongside. The one called alongside you to encourage you and to exhort you. And it's that paraclete, Jesus himself, who now dwells within us. I'm going to give you an illustration the best I can. I remember teaching our children, all four, to ride a bike without training wheels for the first time. I used to walk alongside them on their bike. Eventually, I'd be running with them as they're riding down the sidewalk. I can still remember, as I'm running, at times huffing, when they would, the whole bike would tilt to the right. I would say, lean to the left. Then the bike would start tilting to the left. And I would say, lean to the right. Then I would say, keep looking forward. Keep your eyes straight. Keep pedaling. You can do it. Good job. But there came a time. Each of our child, children, they said, you know what? It's time. It's time. We take them to a big open space, a parking lot. I recall, maybe most vividly, our, our last our youngest child, Stephen, bringing, to, bringing him to our abandoned tennis court and saying, Stephen, I'm not going to be alongside you any longer. I'm going to be right here. But I want you to listen to what I've told you. I want you to pedal. So he would get up in that big open space, and he would be a little wobbly. And then he would start riding. And I could see it almost as if he's reacting to my instructions and exhortation in his head. The bike would start tilting right, and he would lean left. It would start tilting left, and he would lean right. And then pretty soon he would gain confidence. Pretty soon his little tiny legs were going and going and going. He would be cruising. Then he would fall down. <laughs> well... Minor flesh wounds. <laughs> we get back up. We would do it again. By the time the hour is over, I remember Stephen, as all our children, were riding faster and more confidently and bolder than they ever were before. They had training wheels. Oh, those tears dissipated and became laughter. Oh, the joy of victory. Friends, although imperfect, that is a simple picture of the indwelling Holy Spirit the presence of Jesus and God the Father working in our lives. Multiply that by millions of spirit-indwelled believers, i.e. the church. You now get a glimpse of what Christ meant when he said in last week's section passage, verse 12, whoever believes in me will also do the work that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. We now have the spirit of the resurrected, risen, and glorified Savior working in us. We have the encouraging, exhorting work of the Holy Spirit empowering us and leading us. Do you know him? Are you experiencing him today? That's not all. Not only does the Holy Spirit strengthen us, He is also our defense as well. When Jesus said he would not leave 
the disciples as orphans. That was a loaded statement. He wasn't just saying, I will lead them, I'll lead them without his presence, without a father. He's also saying that he would not leave them defenseless. I will not leave you defenseless. Against whom? Against God? Yes, God. And the world. You see, Jewish orphans in Christ's day, they had no defense. They had no provision. They had no advocates. They had no attorney to represent them before their oppressors. They were truly helpless. If you've read the novel Oliver Twist, think Oliver Twist in the poor houses of England. You see, the word paraclete can also mean legal help. In fact, it might even be best translated as advocate or defense attorney. You may not be a big fan of defense attorneys. Let me tell you, this is one defense attorney that you want on your side. Oh, the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. See, the only other use of this word paraclete is found, well, in John's writing again, in his epistle, 1 John 2, 1. Let me read it to you. It says this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a paraclete, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But if anyone does sin, we have a paraclete, an advocate, with the Father, Jesus Christ the, the righteous. Friends, we have an advocate in Jesus. And in giving us another paraclete, the Holy Spirit, he has not left us without an advocate for our case before the Father. You see, in God's courtroom, the Spirit is the believer's paraclete. When Satan prosecutes his case against us, and he will, and he has, the ruler of this world has no claim against us because the ruler of this world has no claim against Jesus. Look at verse 30. He has no claim. And it's that Jesus, that paraclete, that helper, that advocate that now dwells within us. And we are free. Love the words of the hymn, Before the throne of God, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect, perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. And his plea is flawless. And the verdict is pardon. The spirit of Jesus has been given to us as our defense and to testify to our hearts that we are forgiven and that we are free because of Jesus, our high priest. Oh, isn't that good? So who are you listening to this morning? Who are you listening to? The evil one? The old orphanage master? Or the Spirit of God by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. But the work of the advocate doesn't even end there. We'll be studying in a couple weeks to come, chapter 15, chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, how the same Spirit that sets me free from condemnation and guilt is the same Spirit that testifies to the world that Jesus is indeed God and Messiah. It's the same Spirit that convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
He is, yes, our defense attorney, but he is also the prosecuting attorney in this case against the world. More to come on that in the weeks to come. But hear this. Jesus has not left us without an advocate in our witness to a watching world. Our evangelism is not in vain, and our mission will not fail in carrying out our mission to make disciples. And to make disciples, that includes teaching. That's the next point. The Holy Spirit is not only our helper and advocate, he is our teacher as well. We read in verse 26 again. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will, listen to this, teach you all things and bring to you, to your remembrance, all that I have said to you. See, certainly that this promise here to the disciples was a unique promise in the primary sense. He's saying, Jesus was saying, I will bring to mind the words that I have spoken to you right here for the purpose of inscripturation, for the purpose this would be recorded. You see, the reason that we have these words today, the reason that, gospel, that John recorded these words, he remembered who brought to mind the words of Christ, the Holy Spirit, that it would be recorded for us today to read and take refuge in. So that is unique work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples. But there's more. The Holy Spirit also is the one who is to teach the disciples. He is the one that unveiled the significance of Christ in the first place. If you've been with us through the Gospel of John, the disciples are what? They're pretty clueless, aren't they? But what happened after Christ's resurrection and ascension? Read the book of Acts. They're transformed. All of a sudden their eyes are open. Their ears are unstopped. They understand. It's the Holy Spirit that brings that understanding, unveils the cross to them. It's the Holy Spirit, as one commentator says, that clarifies faith. I love that word. The Holy Spirit clarifies faith. So here's the question. Is this illuminating interpretive work of the Holy Spirit then just for our disciples? Well, thank you, Holy Spirit. I do glad we have your word. That's wonderful in itself. That's amazing in itself. I don't believe it stops there as well. To quote one theologian, one writer, Craig Keener, in your notes, in fact, the Spirit often teaches us about Jesus by recalling to our hearts at appropriate times what he has already inspired for us in Scripture. Listen to this. The Spirit does not waste his inspiration. The Spirit does not waste his inspiration. That's what this means. You're listening to a message, maybe hopefully today, it's like God just opens up a door of understanding in your heart. You've been there? It's like God is speaking to you, specifically. What's happening there? The Holy Spirit is delivering and illuminating the work of Christ and His words to your heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You've been like just driving in a car. You're thinking, all of a sudden, like a verse, maybe a psalm, maybe a line of a song that you've been saying maybe on Sunday comes to mind. It's just the perfect truth that you needed to hear at that moment in time, just to bring courage, consolation to your soul. Maybe it happens in the shower. It happens a lot to me in the shower. I don't know why the shower. The Holy Spirit's active, you know? You ever experienced that? Maybe you're speaking to a person, a friend. You just want to give them a little counsel. They're down. They're sorrowful. And you talk to them, and God just brings a, a verse to mind. 
You just share it. Maybe it's the verse you just read that very morning in your own quiet time, devotional time to the Lord. And you share it with that person. And it's exactly what they needed to hear. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life as counselors. That's the Christian life. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what are the implications of this? If you want to know the activity in ministry of the Holy Spirit, get to know the gospel. Get to know the words of Christ and the words of the Bible better. For it is those words that Christ uses, that the Holy Spirit uses to bring truth to bear in your life and that of others. You see, we too need the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Not to write scripture, but to remember it, to live it, and to apply it. We need the Holy Spirit to fulfill our mission. Here at Palm Vista, our mission statement is simply this. Jesus Christ is the gospel. We worship him, we image him, we proclaim him. Oh, church, we need the Holy Spirit to do all three. It's a spirit's revelation and illumination of the cross and of Christ that elicits praise from our mouths and elicits worship on Sunday morning or on Monday morning, whatever morning or afternoon or day it is. We need the Holy Spirit to image him. It's a spirit's teaching that allows us to grow and apply the gospel in our lives. And it's a spirit who defends us against the enemy of our souls as well. And thirdly, we need the gospel to proclaim him, do we not? The Spirit's teaching, we need his teaching and his witness to allow us to effectively, fruitfully share the gospel and stand for Christ in this world. No matter how difficult the trial, the tribulation, or persecution, the Holy Spirit's there to strengthen us to be our advocate, to teach us. And lastly, to be our peace. Orphans have little peace and even less security. Neither did the disciples who were contemplating Christ's departure and those who sought his death. He says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. We're back to where we started last week. Do not be afraid. Do not be troubled. Why? For I have given you a helper. I have given you an advocate, a teacher. I have given you my peace, the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's not a peace that the world gives, right? The Romans, yeah, they won the peace called the Pax Romana, right? But they won it the cost of thousands of lives and bloodshed. Christ won our peace by himself going to the cross as our substitute orphan and shedding his blood for us and for our sins. It's not a peace that is free from trouble. Church, you know that. It is a peace that is not troubled, though, by the troubles of this world. So what's this peace? It's a peace that comes from a right relationship with God. It's a peace knowing that you are not left alone on this earth. It's a peace knowing that you have not been left as orphans. That you are children of God, fully provided for by Christ and the Father in His Spirit. 
I want to read you in conclusion the rest of the story of Russell and Maria Moore. They came back to Russia, to that orphanage, as they had promised. They came back and did not leave those two Russian boys as orphans. We read, But Maria and I at long last received the call that the legal process was over, and we returned to Russia to pick up our new sons. We found that the transition from orphanage to family was more difficult than we had supposed. We dressed the boys in outfits our parents had bought for them. We nodded our thanks to the orphanage personnel and walked out into the sunlight to the terror of the two boys. They never had seen the sun and they never felt the wind. They never heard the sound of a car door slamming or felt like they were being carried along a road at 100 miles per hour. I noticed that they were shaking and reaching back to the orphanage in the distance. And I whispered to Sergei, now Timothy, that place is a pit. If only you knew what's waiting for you. A home with a mommy and a daddy who love you. Grandparents and great-grandparents and cousins and playmates and McDonald's Happy Meals. But all they knew was the orphanage. It was squalid, but they had no other reference point. It was home. We knew the boys had acclimated to our home, that they had trusted us when they stopped hiding food in their high chairs. They knew there would be another meal coming, and they wouldn't have to fight for the scraps. This was the new normal. This was the new normal. Friends, neither has Christ left us today. The Holy Spirit isn't for the elite, not just for the spiritually mature or the spiritual wacky, for that matter. He is the promise for all believers. Life in the Spirit is the new normal. Life in the Spirit. Palm Vista Community Church, brother and sister, is the new normal for us today. Are you experiencing the ministry of the Holy Spirit? It's Christ and the Father's promise to you to carry out His mission in this earth. Worship team, come forward. As I do, let us pray. Dear Lord, I'm very aware that we can hear these words, but yet be unaffected. And Father, my trust is in your Son and your Holy Spirit to deliver the truth of these words to our hearts now, that we can worship you with the knowledge that we are not alone, that we are not orphans, that we are children of God. To help us do that now, we pray that we would know that we are no longer orphans, that by your grace and by your Spirit, May we now cry, Abba, Father. Amen.